You are listening to Scotland's Ear to the Ground, the podcast that brings you interviews with Scotland's finest composers. Your hosts are Aileen Sweeney and Ben Eames. Robertson is a composer from the West Highlands of Scotland. Her interests lie in combining sounds from nature and folk music and examining relationships between people and the land, often highlighting environmental concerns. Recently, Lisa was featured in BBC Music Magazine's Rising Stars column and her music has been performed internationally by the Czech Philharmonic Orchestra, ex-Audi, the Red Note Ensemble, among others. Currently, Lisa is undertaking a PhD at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland with Emily Doolittle and William Sweeney. Hi Lisa, it's lovely to have you on the show. Hi, it's lovely to be here. Thanks for, thanks for having me. So let's jump right in and start by chatting about your piece to tell it like it is, performed here by Ben Parry and the National Youth Choir of Great Britain. This was written as part of the Young Composers Scheme, released on NMC Recordings. Could you tell us a little bit about your experience on the scheme and also how the idea for this piece came around? Yeah, so this has been such a fantastic scheme, um, which I would highly recommend to um, other composers that you should apply for it. Um, There have been so many different opportunities throughout the year. Um, I think especially actually during 2020, it was nice to have this kind of continuity of such a supportive family-like atmosphere. Um, even though, of course, our contact was mostly online. We did manage actually to meet in person at various points, including for the recording of this piece, amazingly. And I'm really grateful to MICGB for working so hard and making all of that happen during, uh, you know, within the COVID regulations. So this piece was written for the NYCGB Fellowship, who are a, a very select group of just eight singers. And it was great that we were able to get to know them and their voices uh, before writing. And we were asked this year to to write on the theme of cultural identity. And so my thinking with with this piece was that um, in some ways you might say that the cultural identity of our generation is one of eco-anxiety. And I felt that in the hands of these young singers, an environmental piece could be a pretty powerful statement. Um, And so for that reason, really, it's very direct, sort of as a reminder of our responsibility to listen to the science. I collected together a list of scientific facts about the environmental crisis, and these make up the text. Um, But I I also wanted to include some sort of evidence, if you like, of um, previous human destruction of nature. So I found a recording of a bird called the, the Kuai'o'o, which has sadly been extinct now since 1989 uh, due to human activity. And it's such a sort of beautiful, haunting call, and that just, it felt fitting to the piece. So uh, my transcription of, of that bird call makes up some of the pocketed material that you can hear in the upper voices in the piece as well. 
So you mentioned that the, the text of the piece is taken from scientific facts, which some people may consider um, not necessarily the most poetic um, text to be using. Um, how did you approach this rather sort of scientific subject matter and make it into something so amazingly musical? Yeah. Um, well, my intention with, with the piece was to present it as almost just a kind of blank statement of the facts. So really, I, I wanted it to seem speech-like and sort of quite natural and simple, really. So I, I created material for each fact by just speaking the lines myself and then also imagining how you might sing it, just sing it to yourself in a sort of simple, natural, personal way. And alongside this, the, the piece is largely driven by the regularity of the TikTok feature, which is created by tongue clicks, which along with the fairly static harmony, I intended to give uh, the impression of the sort of relentlessness of the crisis, which just won't go away. And then I also include a, a heartbeat gesture in the piece, which is made by uh, a chest thump, um, which is to show the, the interconnected state of humanity within the environment and that dangers are coming for humans as well. So the, these facts sort of pile on top of each other, giving an increasing sense of chaos and a sense of uh, building catastrophe, as it were. It's interesting because I feel like the, the way that you've presented the text almost makes it into a sort of very informative earworm. <laughs> yeah, it's really catchy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I suppose is great because then it's it's like it really like seeps into your memory of the piece when you when you're listening to it. So, yeah. yeah, I think my favourite word in it is is it gigatons? Gigatons. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's forty two gigatons. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so you remembered it. You yeah. remembered it. We're learning. <laughs> um. So we've we've obviously heard lots of your music now, and you often explore environmental issues in your work. But this, as you said, is perhaps the most direct statement you've made what is it that compels you to include environmental concerns so often in your music well I, I think I always say that my music is largely shaped by where I'm from actually in in the remote west highlands and my background in growing up here and where you, you can't really help but become absorbed and almost kind of obsessed with nature in a way um it's such a Sort of wild and beautiful place and life sort of revolves around the natural environment to such a great degree here and because of that perhaps I would really consider music and nature to be my greatest passions and interests and the things which I feel most strongly about so consequently I'm drawn to writing about the environment and particularly inspired by natural sounds as well. I think I'm particularly interested in looking at the place of people within the environment and sort of different kinds of human nature relationships. Sometimes this is in a positive sense. If you think about uh, people finding solace and calm in nature, for example. However, nowadays, whenever you think about nature, even whilst enjoying being in nature, it's not really possible to escape from the feelings of worry and fear regarding the environmental crisis this being such a kind of strong and ever present feeling you know personally as as well as generally in society i think that uh, writing music and 
creating art around these issues is important. Firstly, in terms of advocacy, the, the more people talk about these issues, the better, I would say, but also just finding creative ways to explore the feelings around these environmental issues, perhaps also sort of highlighting the idea of solidarities that, you know, so many people are feeling these similar feelings of fear and uh, frustration. So it's just finding sort of ways of, of highlighting that, yeah. So moving on, can you tell us a little bit about the next piece? Can we not hear the birds that sing? Yeah, um, this piece was a, a really fun project as it was written during an artist residency with the RSPB on one of their nature reserves, Barons Hall. I spent some time on the reserve during the course of the year and I learned a lot about it, uh, also from the reserve warden. And what I found most interesting about it was its location because it's a really lovely, peaceful, natural haven, but it's really on, on the fringes of an urban area. It's right on the outskirts of Motherwell and throughout the whole reserve, you can actually hear the sound of the M74 in the background, sort of wherever you go. So that's quite an interesting sort of mix of things. Um, and I wrote this piece really to show that kind of human nature intersection um, in a shared space. So when I wrote the piece, I made a list of the bird species which appear on the reserve throughout the year. I made transcriptions of their calls and I arranged these in the piece kind of in order according to season. And alongside this, there are also some more humanistic sounds. So there are sort of crashing motorway sounds and also a more kind of harmonious human presence in the form of a folk song.
So this is a solo piece, but there's quite a lot of sounds that I'm assuming aren't coming from the violin. What are the sounds that you can hear in addition and how do they relate to, you know, the concept of the piece? <laughs> yes. Um, so the, the first performance of this piece was actually outdoors at the reserve at sunset, which was amazing. And there were so many wonderful natural sounds around anyway there with uh, you know, rustling sounds and wind in the trees and also loads of birds around the place. So it was really nice. I include an imitation of these kind of ambient sounds in the piece, um, mostly using sandpaper, which is attached to my shoe <laughs> when I play. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also I had a, a shell ankle bracelet, which made some kind of rattling sounds. Fashion statement and integral to the piece. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I performed it again indoors and I felt that it, um, having had that experience of playing it outdoors, um, I felt that it, I needed to sort of enhance the kind of natural presence in the piece. So on top of this, I brought a collection of autumn leaves with me on stage <laughs> and I was uh, interacting with these and bustling the leaves and that became part of the piece as well. Actually, it seems to have a lot of your pieces. The Immutable the Brightness of Air has sandpaper on the cello shoe, doesn't it? Yes, that does as well. That was the the first time. <laughs> and there was another piece of yours. I can't I can't remember. It was at the St Andrews um concert. It had a plastic bottle. Yes. Some oh, something yeah. in it. I can't, what was in the plastic bottle? Yeah, it was kind of a rattling uh rice or something inside inside oh, the yeah, bottle. Oh yeah, it was rice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. So we know that you're not only a fantastic composer, uh, but a fantastic violinist as well. And obviously you said that you performed the premiere of this piece. Um, how did you find the process of writing, not only for your own instrument, but for yourself to perform? Does that change the writing process in any way? Uh, oh, well, um, I mean, I do like to write for the strings, it has to be said. I think it's probably violinist bias, but I... Yeah. I <laughs> find that the string sound kind of suits my musical voice intentions and it just it feels really nice to write for the violin as of course I feel more confident in the kind of practicalities of the instrument and also have a more intimate knowledge of how to achieve particular sounds than I do for other instruments. I actually never I never write at my violin as I think I would find it too distracting and would probably start thinking about my uh, intonation or bow distribution or something like that instead <laughs> of actually composing but it's it's great to you know experiment sometimes and try to find new sounds so I definitely do that actually for this piece I very consciously and deliberately didn't alter the writing process even if I was writing as I was writing for myself um as a sort of an exercise because I wanted a taste of my own medicine, as it were, <laughs> and I didn't go easy on myself um, or adapt it to suit my playing or anything like that. I, I wanted to see how it would feel for another performer to get the piece fresh. That's, that's really interesting because I think I have had the same experience. Um, the one and only time that I've written something for myself to play, I didn't go near the accordion because I was like, I'll end up just writing something really easy or something that fits under the fingers really um really nicely or go into patterns that I'm practicing or whatever which is really really strange I just wonder just uh 
because I felt this myself, when you were performing the premiere, did you find double double pressure? Because I, I, I remember when I was doing it, in fact, you were playing the premiere of it as well, actually. Yes, because, I was. I was. Great piece. Because um, I was like, I was stressed because I was playing. I was stressed because I wasn't sure people would like the piece. And then I was like triple stressed because it was by final recital. <laughs> yeah. It was just like... Yeah, <laughs> face melting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, how did you find the sort of double pressure, or do you kind of dissociate the two in a way? Yeah, uh, it's kind of an overload, isn't it? Um, I I <laughs> wasn't I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting to feel the nerves of performing, and then just right in the moment of sort of standing there, I was like, oh wow, a double, doubly <laughs> exposed. This is quite scary. But then I don't know. I think I kind of got past that to a point. Um little way into the piece and started to really enjoy it because you're you're just really sharing your music with people and it's it's a nice feeling really to have that kind of um total expression it was quite a an interesting experience to get to do that yeah absolutely so the next piece macker actually has a performance coming out this month in the art making in the anthropocene concert on the 27th of april with nordic viola uh and then in brackets here, it says shameless plug. Yeah. Oh, I to say that as well. I d- well, you've said it now. It's a shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> so as the, as the title suggests, this piece is inspired by the Macar landscape. Uh, for listeners who perhaps haven't seen this type of landscape before, could you describe what it looks like and how it is re- represented in this piece? Yeah, so I was inspired by the beautiful Macar landscape, um, which is, it's so beautiful and so rich in uh, flowers and birds and lots of wonderful natural things. Um, and it's a low-lying pasture land, which is kind of unique and special to the northwest of Scotland and Ireland as well. And I found it so particularly interesting because of the way it developed, which is from a combination of human and also natural means, um, all to do with all sand being made up of crumbled shell and particular weather conditions um but the way it develops and is managed also relies on traditional grazing and cultivation practices so i found this kind of partnership between um humans and nature in creating and maintaining macker really interesting but then i also um, was thinking about how it as a low-lying landscape uh the macker will now be very vulnerable to the effects of climate change and rising sea levels and in the piece, I wanted to somehow combine human and natural sounds to reflect the construction of Macher. Um, so I transcribed the, the calls of birds, which can be found in, uh, in the Macher habitat, uh, quite a number of different species. And there's also a sort of dark and looming foreboding presence in the piece, um, in, mostly in the, the cello part, which is sort of representing the, the looming threat of climate change.
Like a lot of your work, the piece has correlations with Scottish folk music, but more specifically in this case, the Gaelic song, Oh Who Will Take This Yearning From Me. How did this song relate to the ideas you were exploring in Macker? Again, reflecting Macker's development involving a human presence. So uh, alongside sort of reflections of the natural soundscape and bird song, um, I wanted to include a sort of human presence um, in folk song. Um, and I selected this particular song because in, in the song, the singer talks about uh, all of the people who have wronged her and they want to see her taken down the macker, which means to the graveyard. And I found a particularly beautiful recording of it with a real emotional rendition of it. And it has such a yearning sorrow, which I felt sort of linked to the kind of character of the piece I wanted to create and the sort of fear and anxiety surrounding climate change as well. So um, the little fragments of, of this song appear in the melodic material. And then actually, as, as well as the, the folk song, again, representing sort of human presence, the musicians are asked to hum along at sort of points in the piece, the voice being so sort of innately human um, to reflect this sort of human presence in the landscape. Well, we've had a wee sneak peek of the performance on the 27th, and it does have really amazing footage of the landscapes um, accompanying the music. So do check that out. It's funny, listen to that again. I, I never think of that as being her string quartet, which sounds really mm -hmm. stupid. Like, I've listened to that piece twice today, and only when you said, oh, it's for string quartet, I, like, clicked that it was a string quartet. It just <laughs> sounds like... There's just so many different sounds. Like sounds the sounds yeah. like there's more in it, yeah. yeah. And it, like when we were, we were about to play it, I was like, "Oh, there no flutes?" Or, I was sure there was flutes, or you know, I just it's really there's so many different sounds. It's funny, in it. I, I was thinking the same thing, and I was, I, you know, we've not been to like the countryside in like how long? Like four months or something. And we managed to get out and and get a bit of countryside the other day there. Oh, and you great. you notice that it's like quite busy with sound, like the countryside. And then when I'm listening to that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, it's, I don't know, it's just more apparent this time that we've listened to it, yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 It's really yes. good. I really enjoyed it. Nice. Especially the opening. I love the opening. Yeah. It's, it's so gorgeous. Um, just showering you with compliments. <laughs> last one. Last last compliment, actually. Going off, going off podcast here a little bit. But, um, like, whenever I'm about to start a new piece, especially if there's strings in it, I, now you just go on a, a, like, a listening spree. Yes. I will always yeah. come onto your SoundCloud and listen to some <laughs> of your music because although maybe like sonically our music's different, I always feel like I always think a bit 2D. I'm like thing one and thing two, you know, or, or thing two and three. I'll always come and listen to your music because there's always just so much going on, but in a really discreet, mm. like s subtle, not over the top way, you know. <laughs> So Interesting. I'm always bumping up your lessons for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You. you can add us to some quotes on your website if you want there. Some testimonials. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's an <laughs> testimonials oh, from fun. Punter 1 and Punter 2. Yeah. <laughs> Before we finish up, uh, is there anything that you would like to plug that you've got coming up? Oh, uh, okay. Um... <laughs> Well, um, I've just finished writing a piece for the Scottish Freelancers Ensemble um, and they're going to be having their next concert sometime in the next couple of months, including premiere of that. So keep your eye out for that. Um, and if you haven't already seen their videos, check them out because they're just 
fantastic and it's been a really lovely project for me to do. Um, I've also just finished a piece for Choir and Organ magazine, which is called Tell It to the Bees. Um, and that's going to be coming out in the July, August edition of Choir and Organ. Fantastic. So to play out, we're going to hear your piece, The Inimitable Brightness of the Air, which has just been selected by the LA-based Kaleidoscope Chamber Orchestra Hall for Scores, which is very glamorous. <laughs> so before we listen, can you just give us a little insight into the piece? Yeah, so um, this piece is based on Robert Louis Stevenson's impressions of the Isle of Arid which is uh, next to Iona and not so far from where I live, with its extraordinary seascape and vast Atlantic skies and the sea and wind sort of hitting, hitting all of the senses with this sort of strikingly bright air, which is free from pollution. And this piece contrasts that feeling of the sort of strikingly bright air um, with the increasing air pollution of modern life. So I turn... I turn the feeling of being hit with a rush of fresh sea air and breathing in deeply into a musical feature. And as the piece progresses, the length of these breaths in each cycle decreases, like a person sort of increasingly struggling to take in air until they're eventually sort of gasping for breath. And the piece is also just continually contrasting uh, bright and dark colours throughout. 